people get told they're depressed because they've got imbalanced neurochemicals. There's not even science behind that. And then they get told they're getting given a medication that's going to rebalance the chemicals. It's not doing that. That medication is psychoactive, so it numbs the brain, so you may have temporary relief. But it doesn't fix what's going on. It doesn't fix the adverse. It doesn't make the financial problem in COVID go away. It doesn't make the death of a loved one go away. You still got to process that. You can't get away from it. It's terrible, but you have to go through those things. The only way out is through. Come on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. Fasten your I'm ready for my close-up. Well, welcome back. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today, Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a communication pathologist, cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc logopedics from the University of Cape Town and the University of Pretoria in South Africa, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Since the early 80s, she has researched the midbrain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change neuroplasticity with directed mind input. Dr. Leaf, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Heather. It's so lovely to see you again. It's so lovely to see you. When I first met you at the virtual women's event that we did together a few months back, I pre-ordered your book that day. I was so excited about it. So amazing. Thank you. I'm so honored, really. Thank you so much. Your book couldn't be coming out at a more fantastic time with anxiety and depression off of the charts for everyone and anyone. And I was reading some of the stats that your five-step process can potentially get rid of 81% of anxiety and depression. Yes. So basically it's a system that I've developed over 38 years from on a very initially as a very heavy sort of therapeutic tool for people with severe trauma and severe brain injuries and learning disabilities and autism and and then from there I adapted it and continually researched over the years and made it simple. So these different applications and this book's got the most simple version which anyone can use. And I showed that basically if you manage your mind through the system, you can control anxiety and depression by 81% and more. And I mean just 10% control of anxiety and depression you're feel like a new you like a new person so just to know you have that level of autonomy is just incredible so we're very excited about that so oh my gosh it's it's unbelievable the results you have and one of the things that I like about your book is that not only do you include the research obviously and lots of you know graphics images and whatnot to really highlight what's happening but you share personal stories of your patients, which I think is so cool and relatable. Yes. I think that's important that people can see this as actually real people that, you know, that, I mean, we reach so many around the world now, but when you do clinical case studies and clinical trials, it's really, it's amazing to see the difference. And in this particular trial, we had people, it was all very statistic. It was gold standard, statistically driven, gold standard, random controlled trials. So that, you know, the, the golden sort of the, the best way that you can do them. And I say that to say that, Everyone came into the trial in the control and experimental group in a really bad place and really battling, like emotions off the chart, anxiety, depression, labels, battling with just everything that you can imagine. In the experimental group, within three weeks, we saw massive changes. And within nine weeks, we saw behavioral changes. And those numbers are significant because it takes about three weeks for you to actually identify the cause of why you feel anxious or depressed or what's going on, you know, why are you feeling like this? Because anxiety and depression aren't 
illnesses, which is what we've been told. And that's the wrong narrative. And that's caused a lot of the problems that we've seen today, this incorrect narrative. Anxiety and depression aren't it's They're not like cancer or diabetes. They are emotional responses like fear or frustration or irritation or guilt. They're just a different type of emotional response, which is actually a warning signal telling you that, okay, I'm showing up like this, something's going on. So what we saw in the clinical trial was that people were showing up at the beginning of the clinical trial with all these things going on and all these emotions dominating. And they were saying things about themselves like, I am anxiety. I am clinically depressed. I am. That was their identity. Their narratives were so interesting because they were all around what they couldn't do and the lack of hope and what was going wrong, but they didn't know why. Like we're just, it was, so it was all very focused on the external, if life just falling apart. By 21 days in the experimental group, they were saying things like, I'm not clinical depression. That I'm not an it. I am depressed because of. This is why I'm feeling like this. There's a reason. So the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and the stigma and the why aren't I better and all those negative things had had changed, which is phenomenal. By 63 days, which is the time that it takes to actually change a behavior, time takes to build a habit, doesn't happen in 21 days, which which is actually a myth. By 63 days, we saw actual changes in their life. So day one, the identity was depression. They were hopeless, felt hopeless. By day 21, they weren't depression. They were saying, I am depressed because of. By day 63, there was behavior change. So their relationships were back online. They were back at work. They were sleeping. They were functioning. And they weren't frightened of depression anymore. And it wasn't like, okay, you're never going to have depression again. Depression is not a thing that you can that you're going to get and catch like a virus depression is simply responses to adverse circumstances so for example now during COVID I mean the pandemic people have lost loved ones they've lost finances and all that kind of stuff obviously you're going to be depressed and anxious and worried doesn't mean you have a brain disease it means you've been exposed to a virus that's changed your life and it's an adverse circumstance and you're being a human responding to an adverse circumstance and that's the narrative I'm trying to bring through in the book cleaning up your mental mess is that you're human And being a human, you're going to experience anxiety and depression and all manner of mental mess, obviously different along the scale, different extent for certain people. And obviously there's a continuum, but that's human. If you're human, you're alive, you are going to, life's challenging. And why we look at this thing as, oh, one in four got depression and one in five got anxiety and it's on the increase. It's not on the increase. Well, it's not one in four that have got depression. It's 100% of people have got depression. 100% of people are anxious. You've got to stop these scary numbers that are actually wrong. It's The numbers are bigger than what they're saying because it's normal. So it's like if you think of it, you sort of look at the paradox. They say one in four, that's so bad and it's increasing. No, I said, no, no, 100%, which normalizes it. We're human. We're going to battle. Some days we're up, some days we're down. We have this experience, we have that, that experience, and it throws us and we, when we respond. And what we've got to do is embrace those responses for what they are you sh- no one just shows up with no reason why you show up like that you know if you show up at work depressed or you wake up and you have a lot of stuff going on in your in your in the previous few days and you wake up not feeling full of energy like you normally do and feeling sad so you don't have a brain disease you're just being a human responding and processing life and until we shift that narrative we've got a massive problem and we've had this narrative of 
it being a brain disease, any emotional experience for around 40 years now. And I've watched over the trajectory of my career because I've been in this world now for 38 years, which is a long time. I've practiced clinically for 25 and I've done research for 38. I still do 38 years. I still do clinical trials. And I've watched this trajectory and it's really concerned me. And fortunately, at the same time as a lot of us scientists watching this, there was a massive study done and federal data demonstrated from this massive study that because of this narrative of not looking at humans, but reducing everything down to their brain and the body and the neurobiology, everything's in your hiding in your brain, waiting to sort of jump out and you know get you. So if you're depressed, there's something wrong with your brain. If you're anxious, there's something wrong with your brain. If you're sad for longer than three days, there's something wrong with your brain. Meanwhile, it's just you in life. And that narrative has grown over the last 40 years as we've discovered more about medicine and the brain. And that's great that we've discovered more about medicine and the brain. You want to. You want to improve in neuroscience and medicine and technology, but not at the cost of humanity, of being human, of the narrative. And so we've shifted from this what's going on in your life and you showing up like this, there's a reason to, oh, what are your symptoms? Let's give you a diagnosis. Let's give you medication. Let's numb the pain. And then people get told they're depressed because they've got imbalanced neurochemicals. There's not even science behind that. And then they get told they're getting given a medication that's going to rebalance the chemicals. It's not doing that. That medication is psychoactive. So it numbs the brain. So you may have temporary relief but it doesn't fix what's going on. It doesn't fix the adverse. It doesn't make the financial problem in COVID go away. It doesn't make the death of a loved one go away. You still got to process that. You can't get away from it. It's terrible, but you have to go through those things. The only way out is through. So until we shift the narrative, we're going to land up with what we did land up with, but 40 years of doing this, just before COVID hit, federal data was released. The data was released. It was from 1996 to 2014, that's a long study showing that, trying to find out what was going on. And they found that with all the advances in medicine and technology, instead of people living longer, they're dying like eight to 25 years younger. So how does that happen? Medicine's advancing, technology is advancing, neuroscience is advancing, research is advancing, but we're going backwards with people dying younger for the first time in decades. And the age grouping most affected are 25 to 64-year-olds. So those are people in the prime of their work career, young parents. So kids are losing parents. The workforce is losing like the workers in their prime. And the, they call them deaths of despair. And when they said, okay, well, why is this happening? They said it's from preventable lifestyle issues, preventable. So here we are in this advanced age and people are dying when it could be prevented. So it comes back to how do you prevent a lifestyle issue? Well, it's how you're managing your life, how you're managing your mind. So it comes all the way back full circle to who are we and what is mind and where do we begin this thing? Where do we begin preventing this? So it begins in our mind. And for the last 40 years, we focused so much on the biology that we've forgotten about the humanity, which is our aliveness, which is our mind which is the difference between you and I being alive and the viewers being alive and a dead person. Dead person doesn't have a mind active. So it's the difference between a dead person and you and I and the viewers is mind. Mind is your aliveness. And if you squash mind into a biological concept, that's not all it is. It's, that's only part of what mind is. It uses the biology. Mind has got another whole aspect to it. But if you ignore that, you ignore our humanity. And that's what has been happening. And we're paying the price. They're calling it deaths of despair, which is very appropriate because people are literally dying from not being able to process. I mean, our kids, Gen Z, millennials and Gen Z are suffering, especially Gen Z, are the first generation to come through completely drugged. 
It's the first generation that's so drugged. In other words, they're medicated for everything. 20 years ago, I could give, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I could give a lecture at a school about emotions and feelings and trauma. And they would all understand that that comes from something. You've experienced something and that you need to process that and you need to talk about it and get therapy and connect with others. Now, you go do that lecture, they'll say, what's my diagnosis and what drug do I need? You know, so that's the shift that's happened. And that shift is not, not healthy. And now we have COVID. We hit COVID with that. Now we get COVID. And so now there's an increase in isolation and, you know, all these things and loss, and which obviously is going to throw people's mental health out for a loop because it's an adverse circumstance. So now instead of them saying, oh, gosh, we've got this, this whole pattern already hit prior to COVID, and now we've got this happening, instead of saying that and saying, how are we going to address this as a community? How are we going to help people process this? They say, oh, we've got to increase screening and diagnosis and treatment, which is label, drug, and basically, if you're lucky, get a bit of therapy. And that's not going to solve the problem. It's going to make it 10 times worse. And just today, I was interviewing a psychiatrist myself and who doesn't really, you know, they use more nutrition. And they were saying that by the middle of, I didn't know this, by June last year, they'd already run out of one of the types of antidepressant. That's how the how much demand there was. That's not the way to help people manage a crisis. And, but that's what the world's come to. You have a crisis, you drug people. You give them a quick fix. And you forget all about the fact that we need a cry. We need to scream. We need to get frustrated. We need to actually say, this is not good enough. We need systemic change. We need to change racism. We need to change the systems that are keeping racism in place. We need to change the systems that are not allowing my child to process something that they're going through at school. We've got to, you know, we've got to allow these leaders that are running corporations and leading people to actually express how they feel and not penalize them. And because you express that you've got, de you got depression you in the workforce, because you're going to lose your job or you're going to get labeled as the crazy person. One doctor a day is committing suicide from pressure and depression of actually going through what they're going through. So, I mean, the system is crazy. 3% of leaders are only talking about mental health. Meanwhile, every human, if you're a human, you have mental health issues. That's just how it works. You know, so that's what we've got to watch for. And that's, I mean, I've said a lot, it's a long answer, but it, it kind of paints the picture that we need a new narrative. And that's why I wrote this book is to say, hey, listen, guys, you're brilliant. You're human. It's okay. To feel a mess. Humans are messes. We, we messes all the time. And that is okay. What we've got to do is manage it. We've got to manage our mental mess. And I thought it's high time we actually put tools into people's hands to understand what my mental health really is and what can I do with myself. You may be going to therapy once or twice a week, which is fantastic. This is not replacing therapy. This enhances therapy. But what do you do with yourself the other 24 hours, seven days a week, six days a week or whatever? You've got to live with your, your mind never leaves you. Your aliveness never leaves you until you're dead. So you've got to live with your aliveness, how you're managing that. And that's the issue. That's why people are dying younger. They're not managing being alive in a very effective way. And it's quite radical to think of it like this, but it's basically the research shows that we have to, and it's logic. We don't even need the research. We do. If you just think about your gut instinct, mm -hmm. it is, I need to share. I need to be with someone. And then last thing I'll just say about this is, let's say that you have a dinner party and a whole group of you get together, you have a business function or something, and you arrive at that business function and you say, oh, hi, everyone. I've just come from the psychiatrist and I've just been given a neuropsychiatric brain disease and given put on four medications and I'm going to have this the rest of my life. Everyone's going to look at you and treat you differently. But if you had scenario number two, same person, same dinner party, same business meeting, same group of people, and you say, hi, everyone. Oh gosh, I had such a week. This has happened and that happened and that happened. And 
this happened in the business. And then I had this flashback and that really made me feel so traumatized. And I had such a few days of depression. Everyone will lean in and say, I get it. I'm so sorry. How can I help you? What can I do for you? Yeah, I had that. I feel the same. You'll have community. You'll have connection. That's the correct way of, of helping people to process, not, you know, like give a label and put it in a box and hope it's going to go away. It doesn't. So we've got to shift how we're managing our lives. Long answer. That's massive work to be done. And it's interesting because I've never been diagnosed with anxiety or depression. However, in the pandemic, you know, a month in, I remember thinking yeah. I need to, I need to start calling someone to, I think I, I have one or both, or I don't know, but immediately it went to, does that mean I need medication? That's the first thing I thought about because that's what we're conditioned to know. And as same as parents, you wouldn't want to withhold something if you thought that was a doctor's telling you that's the right exactly. thing to do for your child. That's the messaging. Thank you for saying that. That is the messaging that, that the public have been given. Do you know that I've, I've trained thousands of physicians in my career and physicians, and I've done part of my degree was in med school. So it would be had to do a certain amount of time there. And most of my friends are in the medical field. Doctors do not get training in mind. They're not trained in mind. They're trained in biology, which is what they should be. It's a very specialized field. You need mind specialists for mind and you need to have, but you do need the crossover. But who do you go to if you feel sick? Your primary care physician, who then, if, who then 95% of prescriptions come, antipsychotics and antidepressants and so on, come from your primary care physician. They've had no training in that. They've just given the basic thing of depression is a neuropsychiatric brain disease. These are the symptoms. These are the medications. It's a chemical imbalance. And even though that's been disproved, it's been like the top medical schools, the top psychiatrists, the top leading scientists will tell you, you don't even say that to people. It's still being said to the public. It's still the messaging. And look at, look at that. You really feel awful in the pandemic because it's like so isolated and all these scary things. And now you, you, you're having a normal reaction, but you immediately thought there was something else wrong with you. Now you're thinking, oh gosh, I've got to deal with the pandemic and the finances and whatever. And I've got a brain disease. That's just terrible. That's so hopeless. So that's why I do the work I do. Why I wrote this book is to try and bring that research into people's hands in as accessible way as I can to say, hey, listen, there really isn't anything wrong with you. You're being human. You're showing up like that because of something. You didn't just show up because there's something wrong with your brain. You showed up in that way because you've experienced something in life that's been traumatic or adverse and you are responding in the best way that you can. How do you deal with it? You don't want to stay there. It's not sustainable because it creates a toxic thought in the brain and thoughts look like trees. So there's a toxic thought and there's a healthy thought. I always use these little analogies. So we literally every experience becomes a thought in the brain and it becomes a thought in the mind. And we can talk about that in a moment. You want to know if you, if you are showing up with a lot of depression or anxiety, there's a reason. So you need to be a thought detective and actually go and find a way of fully understanding it and then reconceptualizing it into something that you can manage that works for you. So you don't throw your story out because it's part of your story. If you look deeply into the trees here, you'll see the, these light branches and dark branches. The dark branches would be how you want to manage the situation and the light branches are what you're managing. It's the story. It's the abuse. It's the loss. It's the financial loss. It's the trauma, whatever that is. It's still part of your story, but how you're managing it. That's the key. And that's what research shows is what we designed to do. We actually are able to, when we manage, even if it's, it's messy, I mean, it's messy, it takes time, but the management leads you to a place where you can cope, where you can actually deal with that stuff, where you can, and there's the next thing that hits you, you've got more resilience. So each time you get more self-regulated with mind management, you handle the next crisis or the next 
whatever. And it's not always just big crises, but there's the little ones that happen every day, the little mini traumas, you know, getting into an argument with a loved one or having an issue with your kids at school or your kids have a have a fight with their friends and they're totally traumatized and, and you've got to help them through it. Or, you know, you have a business meeting and your colleagues do some really stupid thing or someone does something that's just crazy for the business. And those are all mini traumas. How are we managing those? You know, we're getting worked up, we're getting frustrated, we're being reactive. That's not healthy. That's just, and then that cumulatively will increase feelings of anxiety and feelings of depression. But if you manage it, then you don't get scared of it because those feelings we've been made, the public has been made to be scared and fearful of the words anxiety and depression. As fearful as people are of cancer, they've become as fearful. I tell people, love the depression and love the anxiety. Why? Because as soon as you embrace it, you control it. The more fear you have, the more it controls you because it's not an it. It's just a response. So you embrace it to find out and love it because that's, there's a message in that. It doesn't mean that you have to be all happy and put your head in the sand, not being an ostrich and putting your head in the sand. It's fully embracing to find out what it is. I mean, seriously, this is not easy to deal with. But in embracing something like the trauma or the reason for whatever, you are then getting control. And this too shall pass because you will reconceptualize it. But if you push it down, it doesn't go anywhere except there. And the more you push it down, the more it becomes a trigger for other things. And eventually this pervades and it's activating all kinds of new patterns of behavior. And then just all of it just gets too much and people feel like, I can't do this. It's just so overwhelming. And so that's what I'm trying to help people get out of that state, that you actually can manage that. And it's a lifelong process. It's not five steps and boom, it's all gone away in one day. This is, I'm talking about a lifestyle. Like you clean your teeth, you clean your house, you clean your kitchen after eating, you bathe every day, you mind manage every day because your mind never stops. Goes wake you up, wake up with your mind, you go to bed with your mind. It's always going. So we need to manage it. And you've even said that when I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular and it is just so easy all because I use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website, and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you, and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized, I can do this. I can go to work for myself, thanks to Shopify what I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out 
the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monahan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monahan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy. When starting out a new business, it's a complete pain to get through the LLC part. Taylor Brands makes it 90% easier. It's easy and affordable to get your LLC with Taylor Brands. Taylor Brands offers all the legal requirements for LLCs, such as registered agent, annual compliance, EIN, operating agreement, business license and permits, and much more. Taylor Brands walks you through each step of building a successful business and has everything you need all in one place. Bookkeeping, invoicing, business licenses and permits, business documents, bank accounts, and so much more. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using this link, taylorbrands.com slash confidence. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash confidence. So get started today with Taylor Brands. You do the five-step process every day. You're managing your mind every day. I live with it. It's it's a process that now as I've become, you know, over the years of being involved in neuroscience and developing this and working with so many people, I mean, I couldn't live without this. It's not that my life has now become this perfect rosy picture. Oh gosh, I still have the tears, the depression, the anxiety, the frustration, the irritation, the anger. But the difference is I recognize it immediately and I can manage it. So in the past, for example, I would get very upset if someone maybe said something on social media or in a business meeting or one of my colleagues or something or one of my kids or something about adult children. And it would it would affect the rest of the day. Like something in the morning would affect it would permeate and then I would ruminate on the stuff and I would get stuck. Not anymore. I don't that doesn't happen. I'll still get the initial reaction, but I know what to do. I've learned to train myself to how to self-regulate, how to recognize and how to manage it. So it's less and it's shorter. I had so much more mental peace. So I use it all the time. Every day I'm working on a big thing over cycles of 63 days. And the big things are like your established stuff, like the traumas and those things. All of us have got them to different. Sometimes it's a massive one you're working on. It's just got so many feelers that it takes years to unpack in cycles of 63 days. And sometimes it's just you go through a season where you're just really maybe very up, getting more reactive than normal. And any pattern has got a root Anywhere you show up always has a root. Whatever is above the ground has got a root. If you see anxiety, depression, and our emotions and behaviors in that way, then instead of being fearful, and we can then do the thought detective to go and unwire them and rewire them in our brain. So yes, it's a lifestyle for me. So from the little times where maybe I get into an argument, and there's one example I give on my Cleaning Up Mental Nest podcast, going to Orange Theory with my daughter, three of my adult kids work with me and my husband. And I would just woke up out of sorts and I didn't neurocycle when I got up because I got up late. I rushed to fasted workout. I didn't prepare my mind, which is something that is really bad. I knew all of that. So yeah, I knew it all. By the time I got to Orange Theory, which was three, three minutes away, I got totally irritated with my daughter and we got in an argument, totally my fault because I hadn't neurocycled. But I recognized that by the time I got on my treadmill, and this is literally seven minutes later, 
I did the neurocycle, calmed down, caught my daughter's eye, and it was over. You know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And then there's, the, as I said, the big stuff. So you you just become aware. You become not just aware, but you be aware and beyond. It's beyond mindfulness. We're not just talking mindfulness. That's only brain preparation. Mindfulness just takes you to like level preparation. So it hasn't even entered the work yet and, and takes you that and beyond. And the neuroscience actually shows, because I wanted to see, okay, well, what is mind? What is brain? And what are thoughts? What are emotions? What are memories? Because there's all these words we throw around, but what are they actually? And can you manage them? Do we have agency? And we do. We have total agency over our mind and we can develop them as a skill. And that's so good to know. So you teach your kids from young. I mean, I taught my kids from young. Their mind management skills, I wish I had this in my 20s, the level that they're at. But I've trained them from young. You know, So that doesn't mean that they don't have depression and anxiety. They get it all. But they know what to do. That's the difference. So they don't just, I'm sad, I need, I've got clinical depression. I'm feeling sad because I'm feeling depressed. It's okay. We allow them to process the emotions. So that's really key to this whole thing. Because when you allow yourself to manage it, you don't get stuck. You don't just keep going round and round in circles. You actually manage the process. Does that make sense? Yes, it's so powerful. But Dr. Leaf, it's like anything. You have to make it a new habit. And like you said, now teaching us that it's 63 days. You know, we always thought it was 21 or month. That I'd heard many times. I had no idea. And you thought that if you did something for a month every day, that that would be enough. How did we get that bad information? Well, that's it. And I put this in the book too. It was a plastic surgeon years ago, I think in the 60s. And your body heals physically in cycles of of three weeks. So if you get a blister, it takes about three weeks for the immune system to do its thing in stem cells. And this plastic surgeon was talking something around those lines of physical healing takes these cycles of 21 days. Thoughts are real. They're also physical. And and I'll explain that in a moment. But it's not one cycle. It's multiple cycles when to change behavior. So if you're having surgery, you're not going to be healed in 21 days. It's the three-week cycle. So if it's a major thing that's wrong with you, you may have multiple cycles of, of three weeks before it's healed. If it's something like a little simple blister, it's about three weeks. And if you think of it, like if you have a, a muscle injury or something, you'll find, depending on how bad it is, you will see distinct changes in healing in cycles of three weeks. So that's where the thing got distorted and got popular myth. And before you knew it, it was 21 days is like the key, but it's not because 21 days is enough to identify, deconstruct and reconstruct but into a new thought. But it's, it's, it's going to be a tiny little thought with no, think of a plant that's just newly planted. It's really weak. It can so easily be crushed. That's what happens after three weeks. So you've done the bulk of the work, but to turn that, to give it enough energy, to water it every day, to give it enough energy, that's what you have to do with your thoughts. So you have to work for at least another 42 days and then you grow this so it gets sufficient energy because everything's about energy in the brain and the mind. Energy patterns and having enough energy for things to move into consciousness to influence behavior. And so that's what I found in my clinical trials that the experimental group by day 63, the behavior change was occurring. At day 21, there were hints of change mentally or lots of change. We call it gamma plasticity, gamma peaks happening in the brain, which meant that they could say, I am depressed because of, I'm not depression. So it's major growth, but they're not applying it yet until day 63. At day 63, so between day day 22 and 63, you'll start seeing little applications, but there's a consistency in behavior change where your sleep's improving, when you're catching yourself much quicker in that certain reaction that, that you used to just like automatically fall into. That's the sort of thing. So it's 63 days to form a habit. And then cycles, whenever it's a massive thing you're dealing with, like if you've had multiple traumas as a you know but at whatever stage of your life 
the bigger it is, the bigger the tree, the more cycles you potentially will need. Like a tree has roots, you're going to have roots to the story. What the current language of today is that the brain and the mind are the same thing. Most people think that the brain and the mind are the same thing. The words are used interchangeably. People will say my brain, my mind, and they'll think it's, but it's not. They're two totally different things. The brain is this physical organ, and it's part of the physical body, and it's 1% of who you are as a human, which is not much, very important, but it's only 1% of who you are. So what's the other 99%? Your mind. So your mind is your aliveness. So that, as I said, the difference between you and I and a dead person is our mind. So on a psychological level, what your mind is, which is what you're doing at the moment, is you are listening and watching, and I'm giving you information which is coming at you as you're hearing words and seeing things, but it's electromagnetic light waves and all this this, this physics stuff and um, and sound waves and auditory sound waves and gravitational fields. And so you, your, your mind is actually receiving that in that form and then converting it and pushing it through the brain. So look, look at it like this. So you and I are surrounded by a cloud and that cloud isn't there if you're dead. So this cloud not only is around your body, but it's also in your body. And when I say cloud, it's like just to visualize something around the body because people say, what does it look like? There's an electromagnetic field and gravitational fields around your brain and your body and through your brain and your body. That's why we can measure the electrical. We can use an ECG on the heart because you're measuring mind moving through heart. We're measuring that life force. We can use a QEEG in the brain, which is what I use in my, in my research, which is showing the energy from the mind in the brain. It's not there if you're dead. You know, we can we can track in the blood electricity in your blood. So everything is around you. If you if you walk past someone and you just brush past them, you get that oh that electrostatic shock. So all of that shows that we have this field around us, and that's mind. Mind on a physics level is we can explain with things like quantum physics and gravitational fields and the electrostatic effect that Einstein spoke about. And we all have this. You have one. I have one. I can't have yours. You can't have mine. But we can enhance each other. That sense that that connection, thinking of someone, and you that's very much what mind is. It's this aliveness. So on a psychological level, we can call it the, the how you think and how you feel and how you choose. And on a physics level, it is this cloud, this gravitational field. Now, gravitational fields are very easy to understand because we would be floating if we didn't have gravity. So gravity, we're sitting in gravitational fields, but we also have a unique gravitational field around us. And that's how we interact. So that's your basically your mind. And it's around and through and it's fast and it's like never stops. Your brain and your body are limited in energy. They get tired and that's why we have to sleep. And so our brain and body can regenerate because the mind pretty much exhausts the brain and the body because it's driving all this, this response to life. So you wake up in the morning and you process the events and circumstances of life. And that's about 8,000 to 10,000 things you're going to be experiencing in a day. And all of those get processed into your brain and, and into your mind, into your brain as these trees. So these are made of protein. So literally what you're seeing and hearing now is being processed through this field, which is your thinking, feeling, choosing, and being pushed into your brain. Your brain is responding electrically, electromagnetically, chemically, and genetically, and building my words into trees. So right now, you and the listeners are changing the structure of your brain, which is neuroplasticity, the brain can change through the mind, in response to what I'm saying. So you've already changed your brain. Your brain has grown more branches. As a tree has got roots and branches, so do these thoughts have roots and branches. That's why I always use the tree analogy. They literally look like trees in the brain with thoughts. So you think, feel, and choose, and you build a thought. The thought you, we are all building 
at the moment is the thought about mind, brain, mental health, cleaning up your mental mess, whatever you've called it. Like you have an apple tree and a fir tree, you have a name of a thought. So the name of the thought is mental health, let's say. And now as I'm talking, all the information I'm giving you is the roots, it's the source. And then the tree trunk and the branches are all the your interpretation of what I'm saying, which is unique for everyone. So it's the same information that you're getting, but your interpretation will be completely different for each person. So, and that's very important. So it's that uniqueness in humanity that we see. Now these roots and branches are memories. So there's another distinction. The brain is this thing in your head. The mind is this field around you and this aliveness and this think, feel, choose. The mind thinks, feels, and chooses in response to the experiences of life and builds thoughts. Thoughts are the trees. Trees are made of memories. It's like a tree is made of branches. Thoughts are made of memories. So these are the memories. So this one thought that we're building now of mental health has got, by the end of this discussion, you're going to have at least 2,000 roots. At least, because that's about as many facts, if not more. I've actually probably given you, depending on how long we talk and how much information I give, it's up to four, 5,000 pieces of information I've given you. So that's in your root. And your interpretation will be over here. This is what you think, feel, and choose about what you've heard. Now, this collectively is how you show up. So when you talk about this to maybe your friend or your partner or whatever, your kids or whatever, you are going to be talking from your interpretation of this. So now you take this and then let's say you go read my book, you're going to grow more on there. So one thought, it can have thousands of memories. And the memories are data and emotions because you think, feel, and choose. So there's all these choices and these emotions and this data. So they're rich and, and massively um, like, like huge. And that's why they're overwhelming or they make you so, you know, you recall something that's got so much stuff in it, you know, and it's great if it's healthy because that's what our brain and body are wired for. But let's now take the toxic version and look at the toxic roots. So here now, let's say that this is a multiple a bullying boss who's just, I happened to get someone who <laughs> asked me that question just recently in the live. So it's actually very appropriate. Terrible trauma from a from a boss for years. They just couldn't get out of it because they needed the money. Everyone suffered from that particular boss. And it was with this particular person. And they had multiple experiences daily. So that this roots just year after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, built up so much toxicity and trauma. So that's the source, the roots, the experience. Then that was the interpretation, the tree trunk's interpretation into the branches, which is then how they think, feel, and choose about the situation. Works terrible, I'm not good enough, imposter syndrome, frustrated, I have to people please, whatever. I mean, it's like I'm useless, I'm not really good enough, I hate this, I'm so unhappy. And that will show up in your life as in patterns of depression, anxiety, overwhelm, frustration, anger, it will come out in your relationships because this isn't isolated to the work environment. It's going to pour over into relationships at home immediately. It's going to hit your friendships. It's going to hit your time that you spend on yourself to, to do self-care because this is just consuming. So that has to be dealt with, that you can't get rid of this with a drug an antipsychotic or an antidepressant or a combination or anti-anxiety med, maybe for a while you'll have a bit of temporary relief because those are basically anesthetics. And so they just numb your brain and they're psychoactive. So they do this numbing psychoactive thing in your brain, but that's not very good for your brain long-term. Short-term, you know, like for maybe a very short-term, it may get you through like a few moments or a few days, but this shouldn't be, I'll be talking days, these things shouldn't be taken for weeks. They're not chronic medications. They shouldn't be taken for weeks on end. And all the research shows that the people are innocently not knowing and the doctors are giving them this stuff and 
they trust because the doctors don't know what's going on, you know, and this because the scientists are presenting the information, the drug companies, and that's, I mean, I don't want to go into like a whole conspiracy theory because this isn't conspiracy. This is pure science. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of articles, if not hundreds of thousands, scientific journal articles published explaining how these drugs are not the answer. They're damaging the brain. They're not any more effective than placebo, which means no drug. Placebo means that you didn't get the drug. In fact, they cause more long-term effects. They have an initial temporary effect because they make you feel okay. And that, that generally the drug trials are only about three to six weeks, on average about six weeks, which is definitely not enough time to and then after the, the big stuff happens after that. And then they say, oh, look, they were so much more effective. But if you analyze the statistics, they weren't more effective than the placebo. They've been cooking the box. So there's a massive outcry in the scientific world about this. And there's a huge, and it's going to change because good science will win because truth always does eventually win over. And there's such a noise happening now that it will spill over into the public arena. But in the meantime, I don't want people suffering if they don't have to. That's why I'm trying to bring this message through. So essentially what we need to do is recognize if I'm showing up with repeated depression or high levels of anxiety or complete burnout and overwhelm, First of all, say to yourself, it's okay. There's a reason. Embrace it. Don't be frightened of it. See it as a helpful messenger. And that in itself creates the most phenomenal change in your body. If you're showing up with anxiety and depression and thinking, oh, this is terrible. Like the example you gave, like this is so bad. Must I see someone? Is there something wrong with me? You know, all that fear that went with that. As you experience that 1,400 neurophysiological responses in your body would have worked against you instead of for you. You would have created a vulnerability in your body that would have increased your vulnerability to getting any kind of disease by 35 to 98%. Now, I don't know which disease, I don't know what level of vulnerability. All I know is that if we, we are not designed for that, it threatens our survival. So any unmanaged toxicity, whether it's a virus, like the COVID virus, or whether it's a toxic thought, because the brain doesn't distinguish between a COVID virus, for example, and a toxic trauma. They are physical structures in the brain and the body. Sure, the COVID virus looks different to this, but it's still a toxic invasion. The brain isn't built for this. These proteins are all distorted and the chemical imbalance. So rewired for survival. So here now our brain and our body's immune system is saying threat. Let's send out the T lymphocytes and the B lymphocytes and the macrophages. Now there's inflammation, but you're not dealing with this. So the inflammation gets worse. And then you have autoimmune and then it cascades into your heart and your body. And, and then people wonder why they are getting all these lifestyle diseases that I mentioned in the beginning. And people are dying younger because we're not teaching people how to create environments in their brain and their body that are managed. So here, now, let's take that situation that you were in, and now you say, okay, well, yeah, geez, it's reasonable. I should, I mean, it's okay to feel depression and anxiety. I've had X, Y, and Z. This isolation is driving me crazy. I'm stuck at home. This and this and this. So this is a normal response. So as soon as you do that, instead of those 1,400 neurophysiological responses working against you, they work for for you. You would immediately have more blood pumping from your heart because the blood vessels around your heart will dilate and you'll have more blood flow and oxygen flowing to your brain. Immediately your cognitive flexibility changes, your impulsivity drops, your, your ability to be more creative increases. All the things you need to manage any situation. We need all those kind of skills. I started breathing deeper when I just heard you say that, Dr. Leap. I mean, that just gave me a sense of calm just immediately. 
There you go. It's an immediate change. So now you haven't even fixed this yet, but because you've actually made the decision to see this as a helpful messenger and you're mentally starting to prepare yourself that, okay, this is going to be hard work. It's I'm, I'm still going to cry. I'm still going to feel depressed, but I'm going to find out why and I'm going to make it work for me and not against me. CBDistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything if you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, cbdistillery.com has a targeted plant-powered solution just for you. I love hearing how many of you have seen improvement in your daily life, thanks to CBD. So if better sleep, more calm, and relief from discomfort after physical activity sounds good to you, you should explore CBD. Don't miss this massive sale and get up to 30% off your order. Visit cbdistillery.com. Dot com and enter VIP. That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. And that's how brilliant we are. We can be a thought detective. We can go from the emotional and physical and behavioral warning signals right down to the root and change it around. Now, we know that your initial feeling there was something to do with COVID. So we kind of know the root. We know that this is depression from COVID, but immediately people are thinking, okay, is it an illness in my brain? No, it's not an illness. You need to go and really process what's happened. You need to go and grab your emotional warning signals, your physical warning signals, the behavioral warning signals, and what are they, and gather those, and, and the perspective warning signals, and then work through a process of unpacking why you have those, and what could you do about them? What's the antidote? What's the solution? And you're not going to find it in one day. You're going to take at least 21 days to do that, to deconstruct and reconstruct the process. And once you've done that, it doesn't mean that you're going to cope beautifully in that situation. It means you've got a baby tree. Now you have to practice applying that on a day-to-day -day basis. So you've got to really practice like that little tree is tiny. To do that deconstruction, reconstruction process from day one to 21, you use the neurocycle, which is five steps every day for about 15 to 45 minutes. So it's not much work. You can, you can do less than 15 minutes. The heavier the problem, the more time you take, but you never go beyond 45 minutes. And you do that for 21 days. So that's that's where the 21 days comes in, the three weeks. It's the first part. And you get the you'll, you'll end up taking the energy from this and getting this, but it's tiny. Then from day 22 to 63, you just do step. You're just going to do the fifth step, one step. You do the last step, step number five. And just to keep it in your conscious awareness. But at that point, you want to do that because you want to be practicing using it in your life. So it's basically a way of keeping it conscious, giving it enough energy. Because all your thoughts in your brain, you've got trillions. You don't have two. You have trillions. Mostly green, mostly healthy. But we have these are all our tough experiences, the big traumas, the little traumas and the bad habits and toxic habits and things we just haven't dealt with. Mostly it's these. So when we start dealing with these, there are trillions and trillions of these. So there's a lot of competition. Whatever you think about the most, whatever you pay the most attention to has the most energy. So that's what's going to pop from what we call our non-conscious mind, where all these trees, imagine a massive forest that just goes on forever and ever and ever. That's what our minds look like. That's what the brain and the mind look like. So if you don't grow this thing, this thing will come back or something else that you haven't dealt with will overtake this and this will just sit there weak and small and not impact your behavior and that's why people feel stuck they do the work or do a certain amount of work and they know they've done it like you'll have people saying i know what to do yes here it is but i don't know how to apply it because you haven't gone long enough it's very systematic and it's not your fault no one taught you who's teaching this stuff 
we're getting told drink green juices, go work out at the gym. I mean, I'm being facetious now and I do all of that. I do my fasted workouts, I eat clean food, I do the whole thing. But it's all of that's driven by mind. And just the other day I was doing a live and I actually explained to people that if I go do my workout and I want to just get it over and done with, I'm going to lose up to 80% of the benefit of the workout. Why? Because it's driven by mind. My body, ability of my body to benefit from getting going to Orange Theory or going to hot yoga or eating that clean meal is controlled by my mind. My mind controls my digestive system, all of it. So if you're eating that clean food, but you're sitting there totally in that overwhelmed state from work and not managing it, I'm not saying solving it. Listen to what I'm saying, managing it. So you're going through the process because you're always going to be going through the process. But just the mere fact that you are actually embracing processing and reconceptualizing and in that process you then can digest the food if if not you're going to lose up to 80 percent of that nutrition for example the pancreas is a huge part of assimilating nutrients from food plays a huge role and if, if you are totally toxic and stressed or not managing your mind let's put not managing your mind it's much less threatening those 20 different neuropeptides that your pancreas needs to secrete for you to assimilate the nutrition from that great clean meal that you're eating it's not you're not they're not going to work so you're just not going to get that same assimilation it's not enough it's not enough the wellness movements is fantastic because it's made us aware and it's teaching us more autonomy and I'm totally for it but I'm very concerned about it too and I talk about that in the book because it kind of is well you haven't drunk enough green juices or you haven't done enough affirmations or you haven't done then it's all about you again and then you've broken we're all a mess but it's not because I haven't tried some extrinsic thing it's because I'm actually a human experiencing life and I need help managing it it's so much less definitive it's not and I guess is five steps and neurocycle is five steps but it's not a technique it's a system to get your self-regulation skills to the point where you can self-regulate literally every 10 seconds. That's what the science shows. When you're awake, you can literally self-regulate yourself every 10 seconds. And that's what the neurocycle trains you to do. It trains you to be so self-regulated that you can watch yourself write that email and you can correct your reactions. You can watch yourself in that argument and you can pull back and you can self-correct. You can watch yourself in that argument and not self-correct and get angry and mad. And you can watch yourself going downhill and you can bring yourself back. So in other words, it's this constant self-regulation, which we're not teaching. We've become so reactive, but we actually responders. We're not, we not reactors. Humans are not reactors. We responders. But if you don't train that skill, you become a reactor. And that's when the decisions become the wrong decisions and the results are toxic. And then you get that spiral happening. And so when I talk about the 81%, this is what I'm talking about. When you mind manage, this is what you're doing. It's realistic. When you're sad, you're not frightened. You understand it's because there's a reason. So you give yourself the grace to embrace it, to see it as a helpful messenger. It's so much better than thinking, oh, I feel sad again. I feel so guilty. Now I've got, now I've got guilt, shame, and sadness. And then people are irritated because you're not irritated at yourself. So you're guilty, shame, sadness, and you're irritable. And then everyone's irritable back, and now you're arguing. I mean, it just goes nowhere. I'm exaggerating but I mean sometimes that's the case no but we see that it's like a vicious cycle that you see happen with one thing goes wrong and then you start getting negative and then you bump into somebody else and then you you yell at them it just takes off from there it does and then we do things you all do things you all say things we regret we all do things we regret I mean I'm a mom of four and and I and I think I'm a great parent but I know that I've created trauma in my kid's life like my mother did in mine like every mother there's no mother there's no father that hasn't 
unintentionally done something or said something because it's come through. And here we sit beating ourselves to death as parents thinking, but you can't do anything if you're guilty because guilty will hold you back and you'll react incorrectly to your child. So own the guilt and say, okay, I feel really bad about this, but I'm not going to make that guilt work for me. I'm not going to sit there in the guilt and think, oh, how am I going to, I did this to You say, okay, this was terrible. Let me hear it. I'm sorry. What did it do? Okay, now let's fix this. How can we fix this together? So you hear it. You help your child process through that pain. So you can't change it, but you can change it. You can't change what you did in the past because it's finished, but you can change the impact. You can change how you want it to play out into the future. That's not what we've been taught. So people are going into adulthood and then they kind of blaming their parents and where's it going to end because they're going to blame their parents you can't play the blame game you can't play the victim card and we are we've been taught to be victims we're not victims we're survivors and i even say that with someone who's gone through sexual abuse if you see yourself as a victim it will keep you chained and i'm not saying that what happened was right don't get me wrong that was horrific and those people deserve to be castrated and whatever whoever hurt you i mean i can be really i'm a strong words about that but what i'm saying is that if you see yourself as the victim you stay connected to your victimizer but if you see yourself as i've survived that that was wrong that was so so wrong but i've survived that you've reconceptualized it because now you own it they do not own you they the prisoners not you anymore wow that is so powerful dr leaf i love that and so empowering you see, we've got agency. That's why I talk about the pathway to empowerment. It's being able to look at that and say, you know, that person did that to me. That child was abused by that parent or that child, that boss bullied that person. But if you see yourself as a victim of that boss, they are still controlling you. But if you see yourself as, okay, I've survived that. I actually got, I'm broken from it. I'm shattered. I'm in, all over the floor in pieces and I'm depressed as, as heck and being anxious and life sucks and I hate life. But... I am not a victim. I survived it. So now I'm going to build the pieces together. I'm going to rebuild my life. That's the shift. When you make that choice, people often ask me, because I work so much with trauma. I work with war trauma, people in, in Rwanda after the genocide. I've worked in apartheid South Africa for years through the whole apartheid trauma, worked with sex, sex traffic victims, et cetera. And I've worked with people with severe damage, like traumatic brain injuries and all that stuff, which has always got the emotional component. And people would always say, what is the key? And even in my own life, if I think of my own life as well, the key to where people make that shift, when people realize that they have agency. And when you, an agency means I actually can choose to decide what I want to do with that. And I choose to see that anxiety not as some brain disease, or I see that as a signal telling me about this. And then you use that to find this through your thought detective work, which is the neurocycle. And then you see, okay, well, I, I survived that versus I'm a, and then that person, because we're not wired to do this kind of, people are not wired to hurt each other. We're wired for love, that's survival. Our whole brain and body is actually wired for love. The optimism bias, which everyone's heard about and people have heard about the negativity bias, there's a, a very, very, very wrong teaching out there in the media and, and in common sort of language that we're drawn to negative. Humans are drawn to the negative as though we're negative or toxic or evil. No, we are not. We're wired for love. There isn't a single protein or structure that builds back as a cell structured organ energy wave that is designed for toxicity for because all of that threatens survival the minute you have toxicity in your body you've changed the environment and you in, you're in threat to survival mode so we we designed for survival so we're not drawn to the negative because we are evil because that will wreck us we're drawn to the negative because it's created an imbalance we're drawn to to fix it totally different perspective you see so that's why i say when you see yourself as a survivor 
you're taking the, the balance, the imbalance out, and you're taking agency back. And yes, you're going to have years of work to work on that trauma, but that's what you can do. You can then work. You can choose to to take how you want that to play out into your future. You know, so that's the sort of thinking that I'm trying to teach in the book. And it's very practical. I mean, science there, but it's also very, very how-to in the book. It is. It's very how-to. You give great examples. Where can everyone find cleaning up your mental mess? Wherever books are sold, they can get it. And then also it'll be on our site, like in the next 24 hours of we'll put on site, but wherever books are sold and they can find out anything they want about what I do at Dr. Caroline Leaf. It's all my social media handles and our webpage is drleaf.com. And my, my podcast is also called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Oh my gosh, your information is so helpful, so empowering and so practical. And I just want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing to help everyone. And it, it comes through so clear how passionate you are and all the good you're doing. I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your support and, and understanding and getting the getting the message. It's, it's so hopeful that we can actually process all this together, you know, not just get stuck in a box and pushed in a corner, but humans can connect and we can really go through our stuff and not feel guilty about it. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing. That is the wonderful thing about this time right now is thank goodness for the technology and the power that is put in people's hands. So I'm super, super grateful for you. I'll include your, all the links in the show notes and thank you so much, Dr. Lee. Wishing you the best and hoping everybody picks up this book because everyone needs it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was so lovely meeting you. Thank you. Thank you for your great questions. Thank you. Come on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about. Negotiate Your Best Life, hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential. Don't believe me? I'm going to go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too. You have helped me so much these last few weeks. I was with a narcissist for two years. She drove me to the point I wanted to take my own life. Listening to you has made a massive difference and now I know what I'm with. Thank you, Rebecca. Now the recovery. Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life, Emma. 
35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.